Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Mo Crum. And I'm Harrison Crum. And we're the Crummy Marathoners. This podcast is for beginners by beginners. If you're thinking about running your first marathon or half marathon or are in the process, this is for you. We realized as we were training that many resources out there expect people to know what they're doing when marathon training. Well, think of this as a marathon training guide for dummies. We'll go through many of the questions we have as we make our way through the beginning of our running journey and what we have learned. If we can inspire others to run a marathon, then we consider this a success. On today's episode, we talk to award-winning journalist and writer and running shoe specialist Brian Metzler to learn all about running shoes and how to choose the right pair for both training and race day. Hello and welcome to episode seven, season two of Marathon Training for Beginners podcast. And finally, my voice is back to normal, everybody. He's back. <laughs> Hooray. So we are so excited to talk today all about shoes. Oh, yes. Who doesn't love a good pair of shoes? I know. But first, before we jump into shoes, we want to talk about a question that came in from one of our loyal listeners. Yes, the loyal of all loyalists. She may or may not be related to me. All right. So she tested out our new feature and we have this little microphone button on our website and it's so cool. So we want everyone to go in and click on, go to www.crummymarathoners.com and right when you go to the homepage, you're going to see a little microphone on the bottom right. And you're going to click on it and you can actually record a voice message, which is awesome. And it'll come straight to our inbox. And so what we're going to start to do is start to feature some of these questions on Mm -hmm. future episodes. Which is really cool because sometimes when we're reading questions via text, you don't get the true emotion and the tone. Right, right. So you can send in questions, you can send in shout outs, whatever you want to send in. But Missy gets to do the first test. Missy is, for those that don't know. She is my cousin, <laughs> but she's practically my sister. Yeah. But she's, you guys grew up together. Oh, yeah. She literally was outside. This is a side note, unrelated. But she was outside of the hospital room the entire time my mom was in labor. I did not know that. She was super young, too. She waited the entire time with my grandpa. Wow. Dedication. Yes. Love you, Missy. All right. So we're going to roll the question from Missy. Here it is. Hi, Mo and Harrison. So my question for you guys is, what could I do to improve my form when running? I feel like I look funny and I'm super tense and I want to be more relaxed and be able to go out and run in public. Great question, Missy. Mm -hmm. It really was. It really was a, a very well thought out question. And I think one that probably a lot of people have. Yeah, I had it. 100% in the beginning stages. I still actually, I still do think about my form quite a lot. We need to do another episode about it. Yeah, we'll we'll do a whole episode dedicated to running form. Um, We did one in season one, but we'll do another one. We should dive even deeper. And we should actually reach out to an expert too. All right. Yeah, let's do it. 
So let's answer the question, Missy. Yeah. <laughs> we're brain sorry, we're brainstorming on the podcast. That's how we roll. Uh so in response to Missy's question, I because I had the same exact question then and I still think about it now. And what it boils down to is ultimately try your very best not to care about what others think of how you run. And I know Missy personally, literally, and I know this is not her issue, but I'm just saying in general, everyone runs very differently. Yeah. And for me, it took a while for me to realize that, hey, I may not have that perfect elite marathoner stride Mm -hmm. or form, but I have the Mo form. There you go. And remember too, when you're running a marathon or a half marathon, you're not running at full speed. So naturally you're going to look more like a shuffle than like a, you know, like these beautiful pictures you see of runners when they, you know, they're taking a picture for the magazine. I mean, remember those are just poses, but also remember they're probably sprinting full out to get those pictures captured. Okay. The best response I can provide is actually not a verbal response. It's directing you to watch this Friends episode. What? I just thought about it right now. Yes, it was It was an episode where Phoebe wants to go running with Rachel. Okay. And they go to Central Park, and Rachel's super excited because she's got a running partner. And they start running, and Phoebe's just like wailing her arms <laughs> left and right, and like her feet are going side to side. Like she looks hilarious, but Rachel is so embarrassed of her. And she avoids her, and they avoid running until basically Phoebe confronts her, and Rachel explains, you know, that she's embarrassed. And Phoebe goes, Why do you care about what anyone thinks? She basically said, like, you know, you should just care about how you feel when you run. And so Rachel then goes and tries running like Phoebe and like loves it. (laughs) So ultimately, my response to Missy's question is everyone runs differently. And be a Phoebe. And be a Phoebe. That's yes. That's the answer to her question. Yes. Also, I will say there are some basic things that have helped my runs and they are contributed by the form. So what I mean by that is, for instance, like engaging your core and your glutes when you run. What I mean engaging, like basically tightening your core muscles Mm -hmm. really helps not only your actual run and your pace and how you you feel because it relieves some of the energy off of your legs and things like that, but also it, it helps give you a better posture when you're running. Yeah, for sure. The stronger your core muscles, the more upright you're going to be able to run. And and to add to that, one thing that I try to focus on when I'm thinking about my form is not trying to bob up and down because you're wasting a lot of energy moving mm-hmm, up and down, mm-hmm. but really try to be fluid and think about moving forward. This is kind of a mental thing, you know? So try that out, Missy, and we hope you can run like Phoebe, but also don't really run like Phoebe. Try to actually work <laughs> on your form. Thanks for the question, miss. All right. So we've got a shout out from Heather King from Canada. That's such a cool name. Heather, thank you so much for reaching out and thanks for listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. She said, in just a few minutes, I will set out for my first half marathon. Much of my training was completed with season one playing in my ears. So I think it's fitting that I will listen to all of the available episodes of season two today. We're not worthy. (laughs) I am both very nervous and very excited. My training has taken a back burner over the past few weeks after my grandmother's death. Sorry to hear about that, Heather. Yeah, so sorry. But she would be so proud of me today. So I'm going out there and dedicating my run to her. I'm not worrying about time, but rather about completing the run and taking in everything along the way. Yes, that. Wow. Very well said, Heather. And thank you for thinking of us and sharing that message with us and, and all the listeners. I feel completely honored to have heard that. And I agree completely with what she's saying about, you know, just trying to complete the race. Yeah. So today's episode is all about shoes. And in preparation for this episode, we took a trip to the running store this weekend. We did. And remember, Mo, the number one thing, and we said this on our episode two of season one, when we talked about running shoes, the number one thing to do when you're going to the store is don't bring your kids along because... (laughs) It's a fiasco. You need time. Like, how long do you think we were there at the store? I thought we were there for three hours. I think you're about right. Yeah, it it took a while. We have our BFF, Eddie. He works at Roadrunner and he just knows he's, he knows his stuff. Yeah. And so we made sure that we were working with him, but he's in demand. So he was stretched thin, but I I feel like it was good for us because we got to take our time. Definitely. We took our time. And so Mo, why don't you tell everybody the shoes that you bought and how you feel about them? Oh, so I bought Hoka's 
and I'm very excited. I was very excited about them. I'm still excited about them, but I'm a little hesitant. I loved my Brooks. I had the Brooks Ghost and they were awesome, but I started noticing that, I don't know if it was my insoles and my shoes or just one or the other or a combination of both, but they started to wear. And so I knew I needed new shoes, but there, there is a bone on my left kneecap that has been aching every time I hit nine miles. It's just, I don't know what it is. Hmm. And so after talking to some people and even in our last interview with the Macy's, they, they had said that they used Hoka's and they really helped them out. So I was, it kind of popped into my head. So yeah, so I've been trying the Hoka's. I had my first run and it was good. It was fast for me. Like it, was it was probably your fastest 5K yeah, you've ever run. Yeah, it was at nine minutes, a nine minute mile. That's really good. And that's a big deal for me, as you know, because typically I just want to, like Heather, I just want to finish. I don't really keep track of speed. Right. But I did notice that because I was tremendously different from my other runs. But I something about the arch, I don't know if it's too much cushion. Huh. Hoka's feel like you're walking on marshmallows. Yeah. But it kind of hits you in the wrong spot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But then again, I don't know if it's because I had new insoles and new shoes. I'm trying to break them in. Mm. Time will tell, friends. Yeah. Time will tell. But we we shall see how they how they work out. Well, I think that's good advice to try them out and kind of play around with them. You got the insoles and you're going to kind of give it a shot for a couple of days and see how you like them. And the good news about the running store that we go to, Roadrunner, they if you have a membership, they let you actually bring shoes back within like 90 days. So, Which is super cool. I would highly recommend if you don't have a Roadrunner near you to find a similar running store that has that policy because that's very comforting. Because I right. noticed you can try them on, you can run around the store, you can run on the treadmill, but until you actually get them out on the road. Yeah. So TBD, I think Mo will probably reveal over the next week or two what she actually settles down with. Yes, I will reveal it with curtains and bright lights and a whole marching band. <laughs> well, I felt like I was cheating, honestly, well, on my Brooks. Yeah, let's talk about that because I was so surprised. Well, Harrison was like, I want to try this one and this one. And I'm like, really? So when I first started running... And started training for my first marathon. It was always Brooks Ghosts. And I've had probably four or five pairs of them. And so I got to the store kind of knowing I was going to get Ghosts. But I'm like, you know what? If Mo's going to try on some Hoka's and some other shoes. And then we we did a podcast with Allie Kay. And um, there's a link to that on our Instagram. Yeah, she's amazing. Absolutely wonderful. So inspiring. Yeah. And she has on shoes. And she talked about that. And I, and I had heard about them in the past. So I said, you know, what? I'm going to give those a try. So I tried some ons. I tried some hokas. And then I saved for the very end, a brand new pair of Brooks Ghost 13s, which is kind of the latest model. And it just felt like I was back at home. Mm-hmm. Putting my Brooks back on. So you better believe I bought myself another pair of those. And uh, I'm satisfied that that's, that's where I'm sticking. Yeah, you should have seen his face. He's like, oh, no, Brooks, I can't deviate. Brooks all the way. I was like, uh. <laughs> and all is right in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, today's interview is with award-winning journalist and writer who has contributed to numerous magazines, including Runner's World mm. and ESPN. Wow. His name is Brian Metzler, and his most recent book's called Kixology, The Hype, Science, Culture, and Cool of Running Shoes. And in this book, he talks all about the history, the phases, the fads of running shoes. And there's probably not a person more qualified on this planet to talk about running shoes than Brian. Um, and you'll, if you read his book, Kixology, it'll become apparent to you that he knows exactly what he's talking about. I mean, he can name any pair of shoe ever made. In fact, he's probably tried them on and has probably tested them and, and, and has run with them. So we were so excited to talk to Brian and learn all about running shoes from him. And we're excited to share that with you. And hopefully this episode will serve as a guide to pick out your first pair of running shoes. So without further ado, here is Brian Metzler. I appreciate you jumping on. We, we, um, we're really excited to, to get to speak to someone who's a shoe expert. Uh, our podcast is geared directly to beginning uh, or beginner marathoners or half marathoners or really anybody who's just getting into running. And, uh, you know, their shoes are so overwhelming. The one thing you hear, you know, when someone's going to get into running, the very first question that they have is what kind of shoes or what do I do for shoes? And it's really Absolutely. difficult to answer the question. You know, the answer we always give them is, well, 
go to the running shoe store and pick out a pair of shoes. They're going to help you. But there's got to be more to it. And I figure there's, there's no one more qualified to talk about shoes than you. I mean, you're obviously unbiased. You don't work for a, a shoe brand that I'm aware of, right? Not at all. I've never taken a dollar from a, from a shoe company. I've been asked to do stuff, but I, I certainly give uh, a lot of free advice, but, um, you know, but I don't, I don't, I don't work for any brands. So yeah, it's, that is one thing. I mean, I'm, I'm totally unbiased and I, I think that there's a lot of good choices out there, a lot of good shoes. And certainly I think that your, your first bit of advice there though is still one of the best things go to a running store because a running store can really, hopefully if they have a good fitter, um, give you a lot of good options. Yeah, sure. But before we jump into to that, I, I want to give a little bit of background on you. So um, I've, I've worked my way through a lot of your, your book Kixology, um, but I was hoping maybe you could give a, an introduction to the book probably better than I could. Yeah, it's, um, so it's called Kixology, the uh, hype science culture and cool of running shoes and um, came out last year. And it's kind of a, um, it didn't, didn't in, intend to be this, but it kind of became this like life's journey for me as a runner. And um, uh, it was fun, fun to write that way and kind of was able to tell a story and kind of weave um, bits and pieces of me through kind of uh, past history and recent history of running shoes. And so uh, just, you know, through the years when I was working at, at various running media uh, outlets, uh, trail runner, running times, competitor, you know, writing for Runner's World sometimes, yeah. I just had all these experiences with shoes and I got to know a lot of the shoe brands really well and understand kind of how shoes were made. And so the book became kind of a, um, a storytelling journey about my experience with, with those from a young, young kid uh, as a young track athlete to um, a good high school athlete to a mediocre college athlete who eventually, you know, who knows, went from a middle distance runner to an ultra runner, but um, had a lot of fun doing it, but, uh, but got to experience a lot of different shoes along the way. Yeah. Well, what stuck out to me about the book was one, how well written it was. So congrats on that. Thank you very you're, much. Appreciate you're an excellent that. author. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is, you know, who would have known there's so much to shoes? I mean, it, it, to me, it reminded me a lot of cars, you know, like those car enthusiasts who can tell you every model from 1960 to, to now. Uh, yeah. It reminded me of, you know, the same thing, but, but <clears throat> shoe related. And, and it was pretty fascinating. I, I didn't expect to be drawn into uh, a book about shoes as much as I was. So um, it was a fantastic book. And I, and I guess since we're talking about it for everyone listening, um, how would you prefer that they, they check out the book and, and, uh, and either buy it or, or rent it or how does that work? They can, uh, a lot of different ways. They can uh, go to my website, brianmetzler.com and pick it up, but they can also get, go to velopress.com or even Amazon. Um, certainly I'm just happy that people are reading it. I appreciate your thoughts very much. And I, I do see the correlation. I think that, that when people have a passion about something, whether it be cars or, you know, baking or like gardening or whatever it is. I mean, like you get really into it, then you realize there's so much to, you know, so much yeah. to dive into. And so that's kind of how that all came to be. But yeah, I mean, any one of those outlets would be great. Um, I appreciate that. And certainly if, uh, if anyone wants an autograph copy, then they can reach me through my website. Right on. Well, so for the scope of, of today's conversation, I'm going to focus in on, on, on just half marathons and full marathons, if that's okay with you. Yeah, for sure. And, and the training process of, of, uh, you know, or the shoes that go into the training process for that. And then also race day. Um, so I've got a lot of questions for you about that. First off. So, you know, if I'm a beginner runner, I've, I've never run in anything outside of, you know, the, the shoes that I bought at the, the big five or the big sporting goods kind of thing. You know, if I'm going to really go out and get my first pair of shoes, what should I know? Yeah, I think that's um, it's an interesting question because I think that um, no one really kind of teaches you or instructs you because most people come up become a runner just because like, hey, I want to become a runner, right? Or they see people they know in their neighborhood they're running or they, they're intrigued by if they live in a certain city, then it's like, oh, the Chicago Marathon's coming up or LA and like, and you want to do that. And, and it's a great thing, but no one really gives you like a playbook on like how to do it. I, you know, if you wanted to play tennis, you'd probably maybe take lessons um, or right. same, with, same with golf, right? But with running, it's like, typically it's um, get a pair of shoes and go, but yeah, how do you get a pair of shoes, right? And so I think your point early on about visiting your local specialty run shop is a good thing to do um, for a couple of reasons. And nothing, there's nothing wrong with the shoes you might buy at Dick's or Big Five. I, I will say that there's a different type of shoe or a different level of shoe at uh, those places compared to um, yeah. a lot of the specialty run shops. And so um, you know, I think going to a specialty run trap, you'll really get someone who understands running, uh, but also hopefully can understand your running gait and how you move. We all, we all move differently. We all have different, um, foot sizes, but more importantly shapes. And then also kind of how the movements, you know, uh, of your kinematic chain, basically from your feet to your hips moves, um, 
uh, is kind of like your own footprint or fingerprint of, of kind of movement. And so um, different types of shoes are better for different types of people. And that could be your size, your weight, uh, again, your foot shape, um, the way your knee moves, the way your ankle rolls, things like that. So sure. ideally, if you go to a running shop, they can they can watch you move. They can certainly ask you a lot of questions too. What kind of running have you done? You know, have you had injury history? Um, sometimes, oftentimes, I'll have a treadmill and I'm not totally sold on the, you know, exact gait analysis of treadmills. Um, mm -hmm. Although with more advanced cameras and everything else, you can do a lot, I think. But like, I think, I think what the, the, the best thing is, is you can, if you can, if you can get on a treadmill or if you can just, you know, jog outside in front of the store and that person can watch you, they can see some certain things and how you move and understand kind of um, what kind of gait idiosyncrasies you might have and you yeah. know whether you need uh, more support or less um, but, but also it comes down to feel too I mean often I tell people that part of the process is, is trying a lot of shoes and, and understanding that brain to foot kind of um, connection and I think that often like you as a human know what feels good and feels right um, uh, just as much as kind of a shoe fitter can prescribe too so the one thing you can't tell when you're trying on shoes is how fatigued um, you might be at mile 20 of a training run or how um, how your form might break down, right. your brain can tell you right there, oh, I like this much cushion, I like to feel the ground, right? And you might know that. But but the thing is, like, so when you're in a training run or in a marathon and, and we get tired and our form breaks down, that's when you might need more support too. And you can't really tell that in the store, but certainly yeah. there's there's ways for a shoe fitter to, to see some of those signs. So yeah, I think go, going to a, um, a specialty run shop um, where there's a reputation of a, of a good fitting service uh, is ideal because I think that we can all buy shoes online, um, we can all go to the local sporting goods store, but it's a, it's a different level of connection. And, and you can probably make correlations to a lot of different things. Um, you know, uh, e even like a knit hat or a baseball hat, they don't all fit the same. Right. But if, right. if, you, if you go and try them on and get the one that fits, then you'll really appreciate that fit, you know? A absolutely. And I, I heard you talk about that in your book about, um, different models being available at a specialty store that they wouldn't necessarily carry in like a, a big box store. And, and why is that? Um, generally it's because a couple of couple things. It's uh, there's a more discriminating consumer, um, generally at the running stores. Um, okay. um, some of it has to do with price. Like there's higher price points generally at, um, at running stores than, than like I said, Dick's Sporting Goods. And, um, but, but also the performance value is better as well. So, right. you know, I do like to tell people that like the one thing you'll learn as a marathoner and maybe not so much as a, you know, first time 5k runner or first time, you know, you're, you're really just a new runner. Um, you can, you can pretty much get away with, you know, the pair of shoes you have, right. but as you, as you evolve into training more, two things happen. One is you start running more miles, um, especially if you're training for a marathon and then you're also running at different paces and both are important, important for your fitness in different ways. And certainly both, um, impact kind of how you hit the ground and how your, how your body reacts to the ground. And so, uh, having, you know, uh, having probably, you know, a quiver of shoes is something I like to tell people a lot is, you know, having mo more than one shoe in your quiver helps because you can, um, you can change that, uh, the muscles you use when you're running, you can run your faster workouts, um, in a lighter shoe that have more feel to the ground. Um, you can run your longer runs in a more cushion shoe. Um, and that's not to say that running needs to be this super expensive, go out and buy, you know, four or five pairs of shoes. It's not that it's just more yeah. that when you, kind of accumulate a couple pairs of shoes, then you can sense like, Hey, I need another pair of shoes now, as opposed to wait, waiting for these, you know, totally blow out. And so that being said, um, I think, I think that notion of having additional pairs of shoes um, uh, that are, that are kind of performance built for that kind of workout or, or that kind of training you're doing um, really comes, you know, comes into view at the running stores. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you talked about having kind of a quiver of, of different shoes and I want to dive into that just, just briefly. Um, so if I'm, if I'm going to run, uh, like, a, a, a longer, easy run, let's say 10, 12 miles, just kind of at a slower pace, um, what kind of shoe then would you recommend versus if I was going to go out and do like a, a five mile tempo run? Yeah, sure. I think that, um, you know, my, my, you know, my standby is, you know, having a shoe that, that is comfortable, that is soft, that is foamy, um, uh, especially, especially as I go longer. So in that, you know, five to 10 mile range, 
Uh, and, and maybe longer too. I mean, like certainly a, a nice foamy shoe, like the Brooks Ghost is a, is a shoe that has, um, you know, certainly a lot of uh, protection. And by, by protection, I mean like, you know, the, the, the rubber underneath and the foam yeah. give your foot a nice, uh, comfortable uh, landing, uh, shock absorbing landing uh, on the roads. Um, and so a shoe like that is very durable. It's very versatile. You can do a lot of different things in it. Um, but it's not a shoe you're going to run that fast in. You know, lighter shoes. And, and like, you know, so most of those shoes are probably... Um, nine and a half to ten and a half ounces and then uh performance trainer um as they're sometimes called is a lighter shoe that um uh, and there's a lot of examples of those but like the um the new Saucony endorphin speed which is they're kind of um they have a series of endorphin shoes but that's their mid-range one but it's, it's it's very fast and very light and so a lot of those shoes in that category are more like uh eight ounces eight and a half ounces and doesn't sound like a big difference from eight to eight and a half to 10 or 10 and a half, but it is a big difference and you can really feel it. And so you're, you can, you know, I think, I think one of the, one of the joys of, of being fast is, you know, feeling fast in your shoes and you put on a lightweight pair of shoes and you really want to, you know, run fast. In those. So I think that kind of shoe is important for tempo runs, for fart licks, um, for repeats on the track, depending on what you're doing. Um, not only does it, you know, does it feel good, but it allows you to turn over your cadence quite a bit faster and really get that, you know, those, um, those faster strides. In, and that certainly helps you do workouts more efficiently. Gotcha. Um, not that, not, not that you wouldn't, you know, certainly you could run, you could run faster in a Brooks Gross, for example, but those cushier, bigger, slightly bigger, heavier shoes, um, they're a little bit harder to run fast in, but they do provide a lot of cushion. So. So, okay. So that, that's, I'm glad you brought up the Brooks ghost. Cause that's what I wear. And, and that's what I wore all through training and, and through my first marathon on race day. So then do you recommend a different shoe for race day? Um, yeah, that's kind of a loaded question, but yes. Uh, and, um, it's only loaded in the last couple of years because of all these new shoes that have come out. We can get to that in a second, but sure. generally speaking, um, when I've trained for a half marathon or marathon, I would typically use that kind of workhorse shoe like the Brooks ghost for a lot of my training. And, and again, even if you don't have a quiver, even if you have one shoe, that shoe can do a lot, right? And so you're, you're doing uh, a series of increasing long runs on weekends. And then during the week, you're adding a few miles and probably running a few faster workouts. And again, if you have a shoe that's versatile enough, you can, you can get a lot of, a lot of work out of that. The challenge with that is, I, I believe, and, and you, know, you, can, you can understand this from a, from a wear and tear point of view, if you start a marathon training program, let's say 16 weeks long, four months, um, those shoes get pretty beat up and you're going to put right. a couple hundred miles on them. And, you know, the foam in a lot of those shoes is only rated for a couple hundred miles. So one of the reasons I would suggest wearing a special shoe on race day is because you don't want to go uh, to the starting line with it, with a, what I would call a dead pair of shoes. Right. Act out, you know, a piece of foam. So you could do one of two things. You could time it correctly to get a new pair of those Brooks ghosts. If that's what you're comfortable and that's what your body's used to. And then, you know, maybe a week before race day, start running in those as well. You know, I would never take a brand new pair of shoes to the starting line. Gotcha. Although I have, and that's not a good thing, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I think, so that's, what's one way of doing it. Um, Cause then your body's used to that same kind of fit, feel and ride, which is a good thing. Cause yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, late in, in this training cycle, introduce anything that new that would change your, your muscular movements. Um, but the other thing I would say is that um, often on race day, I would, I would really recommend a lighter pair too. And so you got to be careful with that because you don't want to go too light or too low to the ground. But uh, if you can, you know, think about that, that lightweight factor I talked about a little bit ago, if you had a shoe that's slightly lighter, um, you'll really appreciate that. And um, I think you'll really benefit from, from not carrying that much weight around uh, over 26 miles. Um, yeah. So, but, then but, so, so I would consider, I would consider like a, a fast performance trainer uh, on race day as well. Okay. So, so let's use examples of, of actual, um, models. So using kind of the Brooks ghost. Um, so let's say that I use that kind of for my long runs, most of my training, but then on some fartlek runs or, or some, uh, you know, speed workouts or even tempo runs, I, I start to incorporate kind of a lighter shoe. I could then take that lighter shoe and, and that's the one I would use on race day then. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I think that's a, a smart way to do it because I think when you're doing those faster workouts, um, you're, you know, you're at least giving your, your body a chance to react to that lightweight, um, again, probably a little bit lower to the ground kind of feeling. And, um, there won't be any surprises again on race day. So, so right. yeah, you, so your performance trainer that you're doing tempo runs with, um, a variety of workouts, you might be, you might have a workout that's, um, 
you know, three by two miles um, or two by three miles. Those are common uh, marathon workouts. Um, and if you're using that faster shoe, you'll feel good during that workout, but then you'll also be able to replicate that during the race. So, um, you know, any, any kind, any kind of uh, workouts you're doing at, at marathon pace or somewhere around there between, you know, 10K, half marathon or marathon pace, um, certainly you'll feel better in that performance trainer. And then you can replicate that on race day. Gotcha. And then you probably mentioned this before you brought up a Saucony uh, model, but, but me being a beginner, and I think a lot of listeners, can you just give maybe two or three examples of a, of a performance shoe that you mentioned that would be good for race day or for those faster training runs? Well, um, I, I can, and that's going to get into a little bit of a can of worms, which, which I'm happy to do, which is these new, this new level of, um, of performance shoes, which have carbon fiber plates. Sure. Which is, is kind of the rage of, of the marathon. But can we but, talk about that kind of separately? Yep, absolutely. Kind of, kind of in a world where those don't exist, you know, then what would your answer have been? So, like, you know, uh, New Balance, if you look at New Balance, uh, their 1080 is a very uh, similar to the Brooks um, Ghost. And so they have that, that you know, that's, that's, um, that's their kind of cushy or cushy training shoe. Then I would say like the New Balance 890, for example, is a lighter shoe. There's so many different shoes. Like uh, yeah. the, the um, you know, Saucony Kinvara um, before all these, you know, plated shoes came out was a super lightweight um, kind of performance trainer. The Nike Pegasus actually is, is one of those shoes that I consider a tweener, which means it kind of straddles the line between being both, it could be, be both a, uh, a foamy cushiony trainer and also a little bit faster. It's got a little bit more snap to it. So, yeah, you know, brand by brand, um, depending on the foam and depending on kind of, kind of how their shoes line up, uh, th- there's a lot of different varieties, but certainly there, you know, every brand has certainly a, a very cushy, um, heavy foam trainer. Um, and then sure. they also have uh, ones with support and we can get, we can get to the support category in a second stability um you know the hoka clifton is a good example of a, a soft foamy trainer um you know and then uh more performance oriented the rincon is a, is a really good uh kind of faster shoe um nice. so so every every brand has you know kind of a range in, in three or four key models for distance running yeah um, sometimes a lot more and um but but certainly you know you can feel it in 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 pure weight differential you know if, again that that ten ounce shoe versus an eight ounce shoe um, right. makes all the difference in the world so well okay so it sounds like then you know you've you've got a couple of different shoes in your quiver and then you're busting them out you're running you're doing different types of of training what benefit does that have then on our our muscles is it just working different muscles or or could that be detrimental to your training if you don't do it right um, I think that uh, certainly I mean I think I think uh, if you're if you're running maybe in too much shoe, um, trying to run faster in too much shoe, it's so you're certainly making it harder on yourself. Um, you know, to some extent that that is still training. Um, but I think I think when you're making something easier on yourself, then you're able to get more full range of motion. Uh, you can run faster, easier. You can also be more efficient. Um, and so the more efficient you are in your training, in your harder training, you can uh, certainly get more benefit out of it. If you're if you're struggling and super inefficient, uh, covering like a 20 mile run. Uh, you're not going to get the full uptake of the training and getting in payoff and, and, and deeper fitness down the line. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, let's jump into the uh, controversy of these carbon plated shoes. Um, I, I know this is something that you've talked about before on other interviews and, and, and you've written about, but um, I think you've kind of drawn a connection to, you know, you know, the evolution of shoes. This is kind of that next level of evolution is, is that still how you feel about it? Or, or I guess, could you just lay out what these shoes are and then, and then your opinion on it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think, you know, so, so for years, most running shoes were made out of um, one kind of foam, uh, EVA, ethyl uh, vinylene acetate. And, and so it was a, uh, a foam that was um, known to have a lot of durability. It could take a lot of shock absorption. It didn't really give a lot of energy back. Um, we didn't really know that because that was just the foam that people were using. Yeah. Um, and then, then for a while, there was other other aspects of foams that came into play. Um, polyurethane was one, but that was much heavier, even though it was bouncier. Um, it just changed the scale of shoes. And so, um, through time, uh, brands also added things like airbags and little gel cushions, things like that. And to some extent, that that was helpful. Um, but uh, you know, EVA was always this this base layer foam, and so. 
uh, there was, you know, there was a notion that, you, okay, you wore racing flats, which are kind of also another level of shoe that um, had much less foam, much lower the ground, um, and super lightweight because there was less material. And for the most part, those would allow you to run faster because it just, you know, they felt snug and good and, you know, you could run fast in them. But it was still the EVA foam and there was not much um, energy return from the shoe. And through the years, though, people have been using a lot of different materials and eventually, a couple of brands had stumbled on carbon fiber as, as this really lightweight, but really rigid, potentially rigid material um, to give energy return. Uh, and the first carbon fiber um, plates and shoes really were in the 1990s and then early 2000s, but they didn't really have the performance value if only because um, the human foot wasn't engaging the plate the right way, right? So you were getting a little bit more energy return but at, the, at that point, those shoes um, were more expensive than anything else because carbon fiber is expensive, yeah. and but they, but they weren't returning the energy, you know. So, so they, they they were kind of there, and you know, other brands had kind of kicked around with it, and then it wasn't until the kind of the foam re- revolution of uh, that started really. So, so let me back up. So, in about 2007 or eight, this whole minimalist boom of running shoes came out, and you know, Born to Run came out, the book in 2009. Yeah which is a great read um, that my friend Chris, Chris McDougall wrote and more or less said, you know, we could run barefoot or run in, in less shoe, whatever else. Um, and then the whole world switched on a dime and started running in five fingers and really low to the ground shoes. And then not surprisingly, a lot of people got hurt. Yeah. And, and, and then we realized that most people actually like foam and then they like the protection and the, the feeling. Okay. So what that did, as soon as that minimalist boom went out, um, there, there became this, this kind of foam war, this foam revolution that started. And it was partially because of the minimalist boom. It's partially because Hoka was a brand that debuted right around that time with uh, what I call a maximalist concept. So max cushion, right? And, yeah. and then also because there was new uh, materials being used um, in the, the foam innovation companies of, of generally of East Asia. That's where a lot of these uh, foams are manufactured. They, they were using uh, new kind of formulations to get lighter, airier, but also more resilient foams. And so, as I said before, EVA was a, a great a damping foam, so you could get a lot of shock absorption out of it, but they didn't return a lot of energy. Now, these new foams were basically allowing you to both be cushioned and shock absorbing, but then they also returned energy. And so, that kind of all came to a, a head in 2013, and then um, Adidas released this, this foam called Boost, And that kind of set off this whole foam war. And other brands were looking at their own proprietary foams then as well. Um, And that led to a lot of uh, new super resilient foams that, you know, the shoes felt very springy and everything else. And and then what happened was Nike uh, was the first brand to use carbon fiber plate with one of these foams. And that's when they figured out that, yeah, there's a whole new um, shoe design paradigm. Yeah. Wow you can really return a lot of energy if you use one of these super springy foams combined with this rigid plate um, that really allows the foot to roll forward and then, um, you know, basically save energy at the forefoot push off and create this whole new kind of um, kind of reinvention of the running gait uh, because it gave so much energy back. So yeah. if, if in quote unquote olden days when EVA foam shoes were returning maybe 20 to 30% energy return, um, these, some of these new foams were 70 and 80% with the wow. carbon fiber plate. So yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're becoming much more efficient and you're, you're not, um, losing that energy. And it's, and, and I just want to make, make it clear though, these you know, people call them springs or levers and whatever, anything you put under your foot, any kind of foam is a spring of some sort because there is some kind of energy return, but all these, these new shoes are doing is they're returning more of the energy you're putting into the shoe in every stride. So gotcha. it's, not, it's, it's not putting it, it's not going to give you more, more energy. It's not returning 110% energy. It's returning. If it returns 90% energy, that's amazing because it, it means you're really getting a lot of, out of every, every downward footstep, yeah. you're getting a lot of that energy back. And so that's what this new um, shoe design um, has really done. And so certainly Nike was the first to really kind of master that. And then Hoka and really every other brand this past year has released, um, Brooks included and Sockety and New Balance has released all these amazing shoes that return amazing amounts of energy. And so, you know, Nike um, had one of the top athletes, Elliot Kipchoge, yeah. um, you know, obviously go after the, the sub two hour um, 
test a couple of years ago and came up short and ran 201 or actually two flat point 25. Yep. And then eventually last year, I think on October 12th in Austria and that the breaking two event, um, uh-huh. he actually ran, you know, 159.40 in some of yeah. these shoes. And so obviously the shoes work, the technology works. And, you know, that, that is the next category that I would say, like, you know, if you want to invest in that, you're going to get huge benefits out of that. Well, my, my, my friend just bought a pair. Can you remind me that the exact name of that? I, I can't remember the Nike zoom next um, person. Yeah. So, so the, the, the kind of where we are now, the, the two that are out there now is the, um, Nike Vaporfly next percent. And then also there's the Nike Vaporfly Alpha or Nike next percent Alpha. I don't know. Alpha Fly is the other one. So it's Alpha Fly and the next percent of the two of them. And they're both similar to very, very cushioned. They're very high off the ground and then have um, a variety of other features in there. But certainly the key is having that super squishy, resilient foam um, with the carbon fiber plate. Yeah. So a friend of mine just got a pair and he said, you've got to try these on. So I went over, I stuck them on and, and um, I'm sure you've worn them. They, they just yep. feel like you're falling forward. It's like pushing you forward kind of. It, it's a really odd feeling, um, but I could totally see how it's returning a lot of that energy and requiring less of a step on your part, you know? It, <laughs> yeah. It just, it's a, a different, different sensation altogether. And it takes a little bit of time to get used to them. But once you get into that rhythm, um, you know, and, and again, they're, they're built to run kind of marathonish pace. And that might be a lot of different paces for different people. I mean, obviously somebody running 201 versus running 301 or 401, it's a, it's a lot of different pace differential there, but um, it is a different sensation. And so certainly it takes some time to get used to it, not a whole lot, but once you get into them, I think the two things that are noticeable is one, yeah, you're getting a lot of a, um, a lot of help from the shoe, which is good because you're not, you're not losing that energy, um, you know, in a, in a downward motion, you're actually, you know, getting most of it back. And then the other thing I notice a lot too, is that if you go out and run a 20 mile run in those shoes, um, you won't feel nearly as beat up, not only that day, but the, the next day, really? you know, um, you know, when I first was doing marathon marathons, um, certainly 20 mile run, no matter how fit you are, is going to take a lot out of you. You're pounding sure. the pavement and it's an arduous thing. And, um, you know, often I would be like, definitely the next day is a recovery day and, and whatever. And, and, and often by, you know, two days later, you're, you're still a little bit fatigued and um, yeah. in these new shoes, you don't feel that nearly as much. But they only, they are, they're only good for, let's say what, 200 miles or, or what's the time? Yeah, it's they put it's on funny. Um, you know, some of the foams are pretty, uh, you know, they're super, super resilient and, they're, um, but they're also pretty fragile too. So I think that, um, you know, some of them are rated for as little as, I think if, if brands are being honest, like 50 miles, so in theory, oh. two, two marathons, but, yeah. but some of them definitely, you know, I think are rated higher than that, you know, 200 miles or so, but definitely not as much as a normal pair of running shoes. And definitely not as, as much as your, as your Brooks Ghost, for example. Right. So if they tell you, kind of like the cars, right? The cars will tell you, uh, oh, this car gets 50 miles of the gallon and then you buy it and it's like 30. Right. It's kind of, kind of a similar thing, right? They'll tell you. Yeah. Couple yeah. hundred. So, and so, and so what I would do with those shoes, I mean, if you want to invest in a pair of shoes and, and a lot of these shoes are 200, $250 a pair. So that's a huge investment. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, uh, that's a lot of money to anybody. I don't care who you are, if, you know, um, that, that's a lot of money. And so, you know, the way I would say, you know, if you do that, I would certainly save, um, you know, save that shoe for race day. I mean, like um, certainly use them occasionally, while you're training and some of your faster workouts or maybe your maybe a 13 mile run something like that and sure. on, on route to a marathon training program but um and then really save it for race day because then you'll really get the benefit of that really fast uh lively shoe on race day yeah so let's talk real quick about what shoes are rated for um like the brooks ghost or and i, and I bring those up so much just because that's what i've run in this past year since i've been serious about marathon training but um like a, a typical trainer how long do those last that's one of the biggest questions that we get yeah so so the the brooks ghost is a good example um i mean the asics uh gel Kyano is another good example uh really kind of workhorse shoes that you can do a lot in you can get a lot of miles out of them it depends you know people say well uh 300 to 400 to 500 miles um and that's probably somewhere in the ballpark even though it's a huge range it depends too on um kind of your build as a runner um how you run uh kind of your gait pattern uh, the surface you run on, things like that. Um, you know, generally I, I, I've typically said like, uh, eh, probably 350 to 400 miles is, is a rough guesstimate. Okay. And, but getting back to my theory about having a quiver, if you have that in a quiver of shoes, obviously each of those shoes is going to last longer. Um, you know, the more you, the more you wear one shoe only, 
um, and wear exclusively for trading, you're going to wear your gait pattern into that shoe pretty dramatically. Um, meaning, meaning the, the, um, it's going to wear uh, on the outsole. It's going to wear right. the, the, the foam breakdown is going to happen. And so that's, that's the downfall of wearing one shoe um, and one shoe only. So, gotcha. so having that, having that quiver certainly helps kind of extend the life of a couple pair of shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what surface is best for shoe breakdown and, and worse? Like as far as if I run on like, cause I run a lot of canals and, and it's dirt, you know, mm-hmm. um, do, does your shoe last longer on dirt, the foam specifically, or does it last longer on pavement? Uh, is there, have there been any studies or do you know of anything? I think I've seen one study and I'm trying to think where I saw it, but, uh, but basically, yeah, if you run on a softer surface, you know, so like a, a dirt surface and even asphalt is, is uh, softer than, than concrete, but generally, generally speaking, um, you know, uh, if, if, you, if, if there's something given the ground you're running on, you're going to have um, uh, more pliability in the foam. And so, uh, but if you're running on a hard surface all the time, uh, certainly that impact is going to be pretty impactful. And you, you're going to, um, not only the, the outsole rubber is going to tighten up a lot more, and then um, you're not going to get any, more, any bounce out of that. And then it's really just going to be this uh, breakdown of the foam. So yeah, definitely, I think um, running on soccer surfaces, uh, dirt surfaces, if you can. So sometimes uh, gravel roads, things like that are better than um, concrete uh, surfaces. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like, you know, when we're talking here, it sounds like it's, it's really good to switch things up, you know, not run on the same surface all the time and not run on the same pair of shoes all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what, what the PTs will tell you, or the physios will tell you is like that muscle differentiation is key too. So you are constantly, and that's what, that's what trail running does too. So if you can, if you can um, run a couple of days a week, um, even as a road marathoner or half marathoner, uh, if you can find a trail to run on a couple of days a week um, or, or switch, switch your shoes out, the biggest thing it allows you to do is kind of create that muscle differentiation where you're using different uh, aspects of your gait. Um, you know, if you're running on the same flat surface on a bike path um, every single day, you're going to pretty much land in the same pattern every day. Um, and that can lead to overuse injuries. Um, whereas if you're even slightly tweaking that with um, a gravel road or, you know, a, a dirt trail or uh, kind of a mildly rocky trail too. I mean, you, you're basically, you're, you're, your gate changes ever so slightly, yeah. but it's not that exact repetition that really can lead to, um, you know, sometimes we get tight, we get hot spots, we get like an IT band, you know, these things that, that, that um, are really just, um, from doing too much in the same repetition, you know, sometimes so Achilles and you know, it's all based on your gait and how you're moving. Uh, we all have, you know, a variety of differences in how we, how we stand, you know, how, what our anatomy is to start with, but also how we move. And, you know, if you're running that exact same pattern, um, it's a very similar paces. Uh, that's where these, some of these overuse injuries occur. Gotcha. Is there, uh, I guess the answer might be the, the Nike next percent, but is there like a magical shoe that's been proven to reduce injury or is that not such a thing? <laughs> that's, uh, that's wishful thinking. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think there's a lot of brands that like to proclaim that. And I think right. that c- certainly if you find the right shoe, I think you'll feel better in it longer. Um, I think, I think, uh, that all has to do with, there's so many factors that go into injuries, but, um, you know, the, the key, the key is your fitness first and your strength. Um, and by strength, I mean like lower leg strength. And, um, you know, I think, I think that uh, a couple of things, one, you know, I always tell people that running and marathon running is not just running. I think if you want to be a good, and, and by good, I don't mean fast, although fast is part of it, but if you want to be a good marathoner, you want to be, um, physically as sound as possible. And so right. s- strong. And so that's why, um, you know, elite runners, pro runners do, uh, form drills and strength drills all the time. There's, there's a whole, obviously range of those you can find, but by doing those drills, you're really accentuating a certain part of your stride and making that part, um, you know, that part of your body or that, that motion stronger and more efficient. So, um, I think, I think that's, that's a key thing, but, uh, I think, I think the more, the more you do that's, uh, allowing you to be stronger, the better. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess your, your question about injury shoes. Yeah. I mean, like there's no one shoe that's going to eliminate that, but I think the fitter you are, um, both aerobic fitness, meaning the number of miles you're running and, and also this, the, you know, how much lower leg and core strength you have. Um, you can certainly allow your body to recruit a wider range of muscles and, um, certainly not be burdened by the impacts of running and running. Let's yeah. say, I mean, running and running in roads and running, running marathons is a very impactful sport. I mean, if you, if you only did that and you didn't do enough of the other things like stretching or having a core strength program or, or yoga or whatever it is, um, certainly you can beat it pretty badly and, 
and even if you are a good, you know, lean, fast runner, I mean, that, that can, um, it, it can be quite, quite painful. So yeah, I think that, um, having the right shoes, meaning the right fitting shoe, um, the right shoe for the right workout, meaning, you know, as we talk about the cushy shoe, um, for longer runs and the faster shoe and the race day shoe, those kind of things will help a lot to eliminate those, um, overuse injuries. And, you know, the other thing too, is not doing too much um, or too fast, too soon. So exactly. as you're getting into your program, like, you know, ramp up gradually, both in duration of miles and also the speed work you're doing. Yeah, no, that that's a great answer. And I, and I think it really just comes down to, there is no uh, magic pill. There's no magic shoe that you could put on. I think it's being well-rounded, but also putting in the time and, and uh, the strength training too. Um, so when you walk into a running store, one of the questions that they ask you is, do you want a lot of cushion? Do you want something low to the floor? And you, you know, um, I, I don't think most people when they're first getting into running, I don't think they know the answer to that. And how could they, right? So what's the answer? What, how does someone know if they need a maximal, like you said, mass, what's the word you use? Maximalist? Uh, maximal issue. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point because, um, you know, for years there wasn't really that option. And, um, for years, a lot of the shoes were built with the same stack height, you know, and how high off the ground they were and, and with similar foams. And so it wasn't really an answer that we had to have, but then as you know, this minimalist movement came along and all these new foams came along, um, all of a sudden shoes felt very different. Um, and then, you know, certainly some of them were built for different things, different speeds and such. But uh, yeah, I, I do believe that the, you know, that kind of brain to foot um, proprioceptiveness is something that's actually overlooked quite a bit. I, I do think that, you know, with all that we do with our hands and fingers, and we can trust um, the tip of our finger to tell us so much about a surface or, you know, whether something is hot or I should pick it up or how I pick it up. I mean, like, there's so many different things you can do with your fingers and your, and your thumb of ways you could pick up a certain tool or a set of keys, you know, and like, and we can't do quite as much with our feet, but I do believe that our feet um, are pretty informed and mm. especially as a runner and, and, and having tested all these shoes, I can slip on a pair of shoes and, and pretty much understand it right away. Cause your, 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 your foot is sensing something, right? You're, you're trying to understand what it is. And so yeah. that being said, as a new runner, as a new marathon runner, no, you don't really have that, uh, that luxury to understand those differences. But I think that within your first training program, and or your first experience going to that specialty run shop to get fitted for a wide variety of shoes, you can start to realize, okay, yeah, this, this feels different. This feels lighter or lower to the ground or a little bit higher off the ground or slightly more sloped, you know, and those things are key things that um, I, I do believe that with uh, the fitting service of a, of a running store, but also your own kind of understanding um, of, of your gait and how you move and also what feels good and, and again, your fitness and your strength as those improve too. I mean, I think, I think one of the beautiful things about um, first time marathoners or half marathoners is we all start out as runners and we, we all are, you know, more or less running at the same moderate slow space pace for a lot of runs. Yeah. But as we get more fit, our bodies change, we get more strength and um, we get more aerobic strength and it's um, easier to run faster. And that becomes a lot of fun. And then with that, your body, um, Will interact with the ground differently. So certainly if you're running um, a nine minute pace, uh, easy run, or, you know, a seven minute pace, fast run, obviously your form changes, you, you get more upright, you run more on your, your toes a little bit more. And um, it just feels different, more energetic. And um, so through that process, I think certainly um, you can start to understand the differences in shoes and kind of how they feel different um, and, and how your body reacts to the ground. And, and, and again, there's that whole, you know, brain foot connection, I think that is, as magical, as cool as your kind of brain to fingertip thing. It just takes a little bit more time to learn because we're not, we're not instructed through our lives to, to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's something that our, our bodies kind of just tell us and, and uh, we've got to try in a lot of different pairs to, to, to make that connection and, and find the right one. Um, I want to know specifically about insoles. And I know some of the running stores will try to sell you, you know, these $80 pairs of, of, things that mold to your feet. And what's your opinion on that? Is that necessary? Is it, is it overkill? Is it a waste of money? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's maybe, it's maybe somewhere in the middle of all those things. I think that, um, I think that the, the, the way I would recommend, or I think that some of those insoles can be good is that if it improves the fit of the shoe. Okay. Um, okay. we all have different size and shape feet. Um, and yet, 
running shoes are built off a typically similar size last. And the last is kind of the interior 3D shape of what the shoe is. And so if, if, if you and I are both 10 and a half um, feet in length, that doesn't really tell us much because it's really, um, ideally the fit is how well the volume of your foot matches the volume of the shoe. Okay. Gotcha. And yeah. then often, often there's, you know, like, so I have, I have 10 and a half feet, but I'm, I have very, very narrow feet. And so, um, so a lot of shoes for me that are more, more on the medium to slightly wider side and, and, and keep in mind that, that most brands have most of their models come in two widths, you know? And so, so if you have really wide shoes, they can accommodate you that way, or I'm sorry, really wide feet, they can accommodate you that way, but I have, yeah. I have narrow feet. And so I'm always in the, the standard, the standard with shoe. And so sometimes there's more volume in there and, and that, um, that extra volume just uh, makes more wiggle room. I call it like a swimmy, a swimmy feel where your foot's just kind of floating around there. And that's, that's not, that's not good for efficiency or for movement and everything else. And so sure. that, that's a time when I would say, yeah, if you can, if you can get a, um, an insole to fill in that, those, those spots, that'd be, that's, that's great. Um, it certainly gives it more cohesive fit. So you're really kind of not losing any of the muscular movement that's going into the shoe. Um, as you're pushing off, um, you're, you're getting all that transmission of energy, uh, you know, kind of in one fluid motion. Whereas if you're, if you imagine your shoe, your foot slipping around in the shoe, you're not getting all that. So that's one way I think that, um, insoles help. Also, I think that, um, insoles can with the right, um, physio or, or physical therapist or, or shoe guru can really kind of improve your gait. Um, and, you know, Mark Platchus here in Boulder is um, the owner of In Motion Running, and he's a physical therapist, and he's been making insoles for years hmm. for runners. And, and so, you know, if, if you're standing standing in front of a mirror, um, sometimes you'll see one of your legs bows a little bit or your hips are a little bit out, you know, whatever. We all have these these anatomical differences that, that make up who we are. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, picking up from, hey, I'm a new runner, I'm going to run a marathon, doesn't always work with that because, you got to, you know, you got, you know, again, these, these slight movements that are out, out of, out of, out of alignment a little bit. And so sometimes those uh, custom insoles will help uh, really get you aligned. And that's the other key way I would say. So first is fit and second is alignment. Gotcha. No, that makes a ton of sense. They, they say that running shoes. And when I say they, I mean, people at the running store uh, that a running shoe should be about one size bigger than your normal size. Is that true? Um, that's a good question because I've worn 10 and a half and it's about every shoe I've ever worn uh, since about eighth grade. So, um, but I will say that, uh, a couple things like, so I think there should be, you know, like a thumb width, um, in front of your big toe in, in, in recent years, a lot of, a lot of modern shoes started by ultra running, have a, a wider toe box, which allow toes to kind of wiggle and splay and move and flex. Um, that's key. But I think, that, I think that the one thing you don't want, and kind of to your point is you don't want to put on a, um, a pair of running shoes and have them feel really snug down tight. Sure. Um, for years, that was the way road running shoes were. Um, and then, you know, Nike still has that feeling. Nike has this really kind of legacy of a really snug athletic fit, you know, kind of almost built about what a track track spike feels like. But sure. I, I think nowadays there's enough learnings that um, enough understanding that um, to know that, yeah, your, your toes should have some wheel of room. I think being snug in the heel and snug at the arch um, are, are important, but then allowing your toes to flex, especially as you go off the forefoot into that toe off phase is really key. So that often means that, yeah, they're going to feel a little bit, you know, maybe a half size long or whatever else um, that the nuances of fit are, are pretty complex. And, and also a lot of brands uh, vary slightly between what their 10 and a half feels right. like, you know, and so that's always a tough thing. But I think though, the, the, the definitely the, the notion is that if you have a little bit of that wiggle room in the forefoot in the toe box, that's a good thing. Yeah. But I, th I think what you said about the thumb width is a great rule of thumb. No, no pun intended. Yeah. So, well, I, Hey, I really appreciate your time. I've learned so much just in this quick conversation. And I know a lot of beginner runners out there and, and even experienced runners will learn a thing or two from our conversation. Um, is there anything else that you feel like uh, a brand new runner should know about running shoes? Yeah, I think that, um, I think certainly there's a lot of different, um, brands out there and a lot of, a lot of, um, certainly different foams and materials and the way those materials come together nowadays is different than it's ever been. Um, you know, there was a lot of shoes that were very similar, you know, 20 years ago, but now there's a lot of shoes that are, um, foamier, softer, uh, bouncier, you know, um, more rigid. And, and so, um, understanding the differences of kind of how those shoes, um, fit from brand to brand. Also, again, from a 10 and a half in a Nike versus a 10 and a half in a sock in a new balance, that's a difference you have to get used to too. And so, 
I think that the, the thing is like, we can all like adhere to like, Oh, wow, this is this cool new shoe. I want that. Or my friend, you know, like it's got to fit you first and foremost, and it's got to fit you for the size and shape of your foot, but also how you move too. So that's, that's really key to, to success in getting running shoes. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of ways uh, you can train and a lot of ways you can do that, but like certainly having shoes that fit you specifically for you is the most important thing. Excellent. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate the time. I know it's late out there where you are. Um, so we'll let you get to bed early. I know you've got probably an uh, early morning run coming up, huh? I do have an early morning trail run, so I appreciate that. But uh, Harrison, <laughs> thank you very much. It's been great chatting shoes with you and running and uh, uh, all the best to you. Thanks, Brian. Follow us on Instagram at Crummy Marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out. And please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this funny journey with us. Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify. Search his name under B-R-E-K-K.